friends. It's good to see you guys again. I enjoy every time I'm here and I just, I feel so nurtured and nourished just by the pastoral prayer. So thank you for that, uh, Oscar. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in there to Mark chapter four. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles, I believe it is in the copy of your, of your bulletin. Uh, just so my notes don't blow away, I'm going to use my phone as a paperweight here. Um, yeah, so we're in Mark's gospel this morning, and we're talking about, um, we could call it the parable on parables. So, so what Jesus does in, in this parable is, is he sort of gives us the key to understanding the way that he mainly communicates in the gospels, uh, which is parables. So he d- doesn't give us the interpretive uh, insights to every other parable, but he gives us the principle uh, by which we are to understand his teaching. Um, you've probably heard it said before that seeing is believing, or you've heard people say you got to see it to believe it. Uh, even, even think of the, uh, the, the apostles sometimes known as Doubting Thomas, who after the resurrection, appearance, uh, resurrection appearance of Jesus to the other disciples, Thomas wasn't there. They tell him about it, and he says in John 20, if I don't see his pierced hands inside, I will never believe. Right? We, um, we're a people who likes to live by sight. But as we'll see this morning, the scriptures um, contest the claim in some ways that seeing is believing. Right? It's not that seeing is bad uh, or wrong. In fact, the day is coming when faith will become sight. But in the era in which we live, right, we sometimes call it the already not yet. The era in which we live in redemptive history, we see through what Paul calls a glass darkly. So without the clear interpretive guidance of God's word, we can't even completely make out what it is that we see in terms of kingdom realities. I mean, even think of the incarnation of Jesus, right? The king comes, King Jesus comes in an unexpected way. He doesn't look powerful and impressive. Remember the the Christmas carol, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see Hail the incarnate deity. He's veiled, right? His, his, his power, his glory is veiled even as he makes himself known to us in the incarnation. So in our passage today, Mark chapter 4, we're going to see that Jesus specifically links discipleship in the time in which we live to a certain kind of hearing. A certain kind, not so much of seeing, but a certain kind of hearing. And that form of hearing then provides, you could, you could think of it as corrective lenses to what we see, to how we see. And Jesus is going to use the, the very unassuming image of seed, scattered seed, right, to describe his word. And it's a very apt image given, uh, given the point that he's making today. Because if you, if you had a handful of seeds, you were going out to sow, going out to scatter. Uh, when you look at those seeds, it's very hard to see all that is actually there, Right? On the one hand, if you had some seed on the ground and, and, and you just stomped on it with your heel, you could crush the seed with a single step. And yet, and yet, the seed has what Jesus elsewhere calls life in itself, right? Think of Jesus in John chapter 20. The, the, the image of the seed is very much like Jesus himself, who, who, who when it goes into the ground and dies it produces an amazing explosion of life. So we're going to read our passage uh, from Mark chapter 4, 
uh, and then I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into what I think the Lord wants us to hear this morning. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, <clears throat> so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that in the moments to come, that you would give us the very thing Jesus talks about in this passage, ears to hear uh, what your word is and what it would do uh, in our lives. Help it to go down deep and to break forth with merciful giving, merciful new life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so here's the point of the parable. All hearing is not created equal. All hearing is not created equal. Jesus, in this parable, wants to show us what true hearing is and what true hearing is not, and then to show the blessings of true hearing, as well as to warn of the dangers of any other kind of hearing, to warn of the dangers of anything less than true hearing. And in the context, I know you guys haven't been, uh, at least I don't think you've been working through the book of Mark here, here lately, um, but in the context of the presentation of, of this passage, 
Jesus has encountered a number of different people who in some ways have represented the different responses uh, to his message. On the one hand, uh, he's been engaging some with the religious leaders. And some of the religious leaders have heard Jesus and decided that his message is demonic and uh, worth opposing even to death. Jesus has been followed around uh, for some time and even in this passage is followed around by the crowds. And it's, it's the case up to this point and after this point, that, that many in the crowds heard Jesus, but were only interested in what they could get from him. And, 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 and we'll see as, you know, you see as you keep going in the book of Mark that, that eventually some of the crowds, not all of them, but some scatter at the first sign when aligning with Jesus means that you might in fact get treated like Jesus. Interestingly, in the passage just before this one in, uh, in, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus' own family, so, so uh, Mary and step-siblings, heard Jesus and to that point were uncomfortable with his message, right? They were, they were embarrassed to some extent, worried, trying to get him uh, to button up a little bit. So friends, if discipleship in the already not yet, is profoundly bound up with the right kind of hearing, then again, the most important takeaway from this parable this morning is to take heed how we hear the word of Jesus, right? Even even now, even now, this, this urgency should caution us against coasting in worship, right? To think of oneself as a passive receiver. It's very, I, I, I find myself uh, dealing with this mentality from time to time. If I'm not the preacher and I'm in, in, the, in the congregation, you, you can think of yourself as having a passive um, role to play. And, and I would encourage you, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, to think of yourself as an active participant, right, in receiving the word of God. Okay, so uh, the first part of the, of the teaching, Jesus gives the parable, right? And, and it's a parable about soils And this comes, he gives the setting in the first couple of verses, then verses three through nine, he tells the parable of the soils. And here's what's interesting. There is one seed. The seed does not change from soil to soil. The seed and the sower remain the same in the entire entire story. What's different are the different forms of soil, the different kinds of soil. And there's four, right? There's four four, uh, soils in the parable. And the first three all portray different ways of not bearing fruit. Okay, so it's one, two, and three. We'll look at them in more detail here in just a minute. But they all portray different ways of not bearing fruit. Now, as you progress from soil one to two to three, it gets a little bit more subtle, right? With with each each, each additional soil. But ultimately, what is clear from the teaching of Jesus is that one, two, and three are non-fruit bearing. They don't bear fruit, okay? And, and so on the face of it, this parable seems to be a relatively simple story. It's framed by the charge in verse 3 to listen. Right? That's, a, that's, a, that's an exhortation. That's a command. And then it concludes that this portion of the parable in verse 9 with the saying, again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is urgently calling for a certain kind of hearing of the word that he is proclaiming. Soil number one, it's the soil in verse four that gets scattered on the path. And uh, even even with paths that that are primarily dominated by foot traffic, 
right? You, you, you can discern that they become foot-worn, right? A foot-worn path. The soil gets packed. It's hard to penetrate. And the seed that gets scattered on the foot-worn path becomes, as Jesus says, so much bird food. The second soil in verses 5 and 6 gets sown on rocky ground, okay? This ground, this soil, it's, it's not impenetrable like the foot-worn path, but it is shallow. And so, and so what happens with the seed in this instance, Jesus says, is that it grows up quick. It's initially, it initially appears promising, but just as quickly as it grows up, it dies out because it has no depth to sustain it amidst the elements. The third soil in verse 7 is the, seed, is the seed that gets scattered among the thorns. Now, initially, this seed also uh, begins to grow, but it gets choked out by the thorns as it grows, so that Jesus mentions, right, concerning this soil, Jesus specifically says, it yielded no grain. Uh, in Jesus' per perspective on this soil, what does not bear fruit does not manifest true growth. No fruit equals no growth. So then you come to the fourth soil. This is down in verse 8. Jesus says, Some seeds fall into good soil, respectively producing 30, 60, 100-fold uh, harvest. In this case, whether it's 30, 60, or 100, the good soil is fruitful soil. So that's the, that's the image that Jesus portrays in the telling of this parable. Now, I'm going to skip over the middle section here just, just for a moment where Jesus explains his reason for teaching uh, in parables. For, for, for now, I want to jump down to, to the final section where Jesus actually interprets his own parable. Okay, um, In verse 13, it's interesting, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any parable. This parable is the key to understanding his teaching, so to speak. So we need to... So we need to see what he's driving at here. And, and then down in verses uh, 14 and, and following, down to the end of the passage, he, he goes back through these four soils, but he elaborates on the meaning that he's assigned to the soils and, and, and the application they have for hearing. So the first thing that he makes clear is that the seed in the parable, the seed that is scattered, is actually the word of God. Okay, The seed is the word of God. And the different soils, the four different soils, are used to compare different kinds of hearing of God's word. So we got the seed, which is the word of God, and then the four different soils reflect different kinds of, of hearing. In the first instance, right, the soil that fell on the, on the path, Jesus has, has said that as soon as the hearer hears, the, there's a kind of hearing, right? They hear the word, but then they, they lose it. Um. The word comes, but the person remains unmoved. I, 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 I kind of think of this particular soil, soil number one, as neglectful hearing. Right? That's my, that's my term for what, what's going on here, neglectful hearing. In other words, soil number one that's scattered on the, on the path is not a failure to hear. It's, it's not like they had the inability, right, auditorily speaking, to hear. This is culpable neglect. So... Um, it's like, it's like, it's like the, the, uh, the experience of receiving conviction and dismissing it, hardening oneself to conviction. Or like, um, you may remember the guy in, uh, in James chapter 1. James, James 1 tells us about a guy who looks at himself in the mirror 
But as soon as he walks away from the mirror, he forgets what he looks like, right? It's not, it's not that he didn't see. It's, it's, it's that he didn't, didn't cling, right? Didn't hang on to that, to that understanding. I think the most extreme example in Mark's gospel of this particular, this particular kind of neglectful hearing is the scribes from chapter 3. And I, I, know we didn't, I know we didn't read chapter 3, but in chapter 3, the scribes, have become so hardened in their hearing of the word of Jesus and so dismissive of his mission and message that they got to the point where they've convinced themselves that Jesus is demonic, right? So they're standing in the presence of light and they're so dismissive of his message that they convince themselves that while they're in the presence of light, they're actually seeing darkness. They're actually seeing moral darkness. Interestingly, um, Jesus also interprets this particular soil, you see that in, uh, in verse 15, as, as a satanic attack, right? The, so the birds come and they eat the soil, but, but in verse 15, he describes it as a satanic attack. Now, again, it's not that they didn't hear. It's not that they didn't hear the word of Jesus. They heard, but the seed was snatched so that, so that they wouldn't be thinking about the word, pondering on the word, dwelling on the word, inquiring about the word. Isn't that fascinating? How we hear the word of God, Jesus says, is a battleground of spiritual warfare. The simple act of hearing well and and, and the battle to do so is an act of spiritual warfare. It, It seems so mundane, right? It seems so mundane. And yet Jesus says there is something of cosmic significance taking place in every person's heart when they engage or encounter the word of God. That's soil number one. Soil number two, it's rocky soil uh, that gives uh, the appearance of, of, uh, of a harvest for a time, but then trials and persecutions come and uh, there's, a, there's a falling away. So if I called the first one neglectful hearing, I, I'm calling the second one superficial hearing superficial hearing. And in particular, what Jesus is at pains to clarify with soil number two is that it has no depth, right? The soil has no depth. So the penetration is shallow and the roots can't go down. Um, And and I think there's at least some reflection of this in the crowds that follow Jesus for a time, right? As we mentioned a moment ago, um, some, some people are, are, are amazingly drawn to Jesus in, in the Gospels because, you know, he gives them free meals or, 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 or whatever the case may be. But, but then when the cost of following Jesus becomes clear, the crowd that eagerly received him sometimes also eagerly turns from him. This, one, this, this soil is a little more subtle than the first. But when the cost of following Jesus is counted and the particular people represented by this soil... <clears throat> decide it's not worth it, right? That's a form that reflects a form of unfruitful hearing. Now, Jesus says that, that, the, that that's revealed in the experience of tribulation and persecution, right? In the experience of tribulation and persecution, a person's reception or non-reception of his word is revealed. And, and so, uh, you know, some who turn from Jesus in the face of persecution learn one thing about themselves. But, but, but on the other hand, I do want to say this. There can be a blessing for the believer, it's counterintuitive, right? But a blessing for the believer in the experience of tribulation for the sake of the kingdom. Here's here's what I mean by that, right? 
the resistance that's experienced by persecution, it's like the resistance of weightlifting, right? You get in a, a weightlifting regimen, a workout regimen, it can be hard. It provides resistance, but one of the things it does is it builds muscle. And so thinking now in terms of, of our spiritual muscles, muscles, there's something similar with the experience of tribulation or persecution. And the person who is clinging to Christ, the person who is clinging to Christ, even when at times being treated like Christ, here's, here's the good news, right? When they experience the word of God as sufficient, rather than insufficient leading to turn away, when they experience the word of God as sufficient in a time of tribulation or difficulty, that actually gives some, some assurance that the word has gone deep into your life. That actually gives, gives some assurance of depth rather than shallowness and an indication of discipleship, right? That, that, that you're not on board for Jesus simply when things are easy and rosy for you, but at all times and in all ways, because you've come to recognize him as the best treasure. Soil number three, uh, Jesus describes the, the, uh, the, the thorns that choke out this particular seed being the worries of life, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things. See this in uh, verses 18 and 19. And uh, I call this one, I call this one Jesus and hearing. Jesus and hearing. So, so, so who are these people, right? Maybe, maybe these people are certainly, they're hearing the, hearing the word. Um, maybe they're active in church, but, but the worries of this life choke the word, make it unfruitful. When I, when I say Jesus and hearing, I'm, I'm, I mean the mindset that says, I'll take Jesus on my terms. Uh, I'll take Jesus and fill in the blank. As long as Jesus doesn't, doesn't demand my obedience or submission in this area, I'm, I'm good with Jesus. And, and so, so, so this particular, per, this kind of person maybe settles into lukewarmness. Lukewarmness. It's more subtle even than the first two, and yet Jesus says it's still unfruitful. It's unfruitful hearing. See, if, if we hold back an area, any area of our life from Jesus' lordship, what do the scriptures call that? We call it idolatry. You remember the, uh, the story of the rich young ruler, right? The story of the rich young ruler indicates there can be no compromised allegiance. Jesus is Lord of 99%, but, you know, there's no, there's, there's no middle ground. One Lord. Soil number four <clears throat> produces a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is fruitful hearing. This reflects fruitful hearing. Hearing. These are the ones in verse 20, uh, Jesus says, who hear the word, accept the word, and bear fruit. And, and, and so to be clear, this is not, uh, the, these are not the Navy SEALs of the Christian faith, okay? This is normal Christian life. This is what kingdom hearing looks like. This is the only kind that bears fruit. It is absolutely, uh, we're not saying that, that difficulty is, is, is absent here or temptation is removed here. But the hearing of those in this category is proven as they persevere through the ups and downs of following Jesus. So there's two main contrasts then. We've looked at the four soils, we've looked at the parable, we've looked at the interpretation of the parable, and there's two main contrasts between soils one, two, and three, and then soil number four. Here they are. 
The difference between the soils uh, boil down to these. Number one, the difference or the distinction between the soil that was fruitful and the soils that were fruitless. So fruitful versus fruitless. And then what explains the fruitfulness or fruitlessness is distinction number two. And that is the depth to which the seed penetrates a given soil. What explains the difference in the response is not the seed, it's the same seed. It's not the sower, it's the same sower. It is the depth to which the seed of God's word penetrates that soil, or in Jesus' explanation, a person's life. Here's the point. Shallow engagement with the word of God is no engagement at all. Shallow engagement is not engagement. The first three soils failed to produce fruit because the seed did not go deep enough. The seed did not go in with sufficient depth. Even the third one, where other concerns and issues are present, those other concerns and issues go deeper than the seed did. And so choke out the seed. Now again, Here's the flip side. So that's, that's, the, that's kind of the warning, isn't it? But the flip side of this, the good news is, is that if your hearing of God's word lets his word in deeply, it'll have its way with you. The power is inherent in the word. If you let it in, it will do its work. You might think of uh, the passage in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and marrow, even to the division of soul and spirit, piercing the thoughts and intentions of... Right. The, the, the Word of God is not just an object to be studied. It is an agent to perform surgery on those who let it in deeply. If you've got your Bibles open to Mark 4, just look, just, I'm not, not going to make any commentary, but just look with me. <clears throat> at verses 26 to 29. So this is just a little bit further on from the parable. Here's what Jesus says, explaining the life in itself principle of the seed. The kingdom of God, this is verse 26, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So, right, we're dealing with the same, the same uh, metaphor here. He, that's the sower, sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. In other words, the sower, right, and this, he knows to scatter and growth, he doesn't, he doesn't understand, he, right? There's, again, with this image of seed, there's more to seed than you can see, right, with the, uh, the eyes of the, of the forehead, so to speak. If you let it in, it will do its work. So why does Jesus, back this is kind of to the middle chunk now, so why, why does Jesus prefer, why did he prefer parables uh, as, his, as his main mode of, of teaching to the crowds? Well, it, it fits, right? Para, parabolic teaching fits with this theme of the already not yet, doesn't it? Where you can't see all that is there to be seen. And Jesus says, we already pointed out in verse 13, that this parable in particular is the key to understanding all other parables. But that's not because it explains every other parable. The reason this parable is the key to all others is because it shows the difference between true hearing and other imitative forms of hearing, right? True hearing and false hearing. The key to understanding 
Jesus is teaching, the key to understanding other parables, the key to understanding the word of God more broadly is that we are the kind of people who take heed how we hear, that we let the word of God in, in deep. And so, I mean, this, this passage in Mark chapter 4 is drenched with these commands. Listen, verse 3. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, verse 9. Hear, accept, bear fruit, verse 20. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, verse 23. Pay attention how you hear, verse 24. We're starting to get the point, aren't we? See, the context of this teaching from Jesus is that there has been and will continue to be for the remainder of the gospel Surrounding Jesus, there's lots of hearing without hearing taking place you know, if you, to, to differentiate the two. So encounters with the word of God, Jesus says, serve in some respects to separate those who truly hear and thus are his disciples from those who don't. The, the, the word of, of Christ is a kind of filter for those who want Jesus and his miracles, but not to take up their cross and follow him. Right? They want what he can give, but they do not want the cost of discipleship. So it's interesting when Jesus begins to explain the purpose of these parables in verse 10, Mark says, so he, gives, he gives this more elaborated explanation. To it, sa it says he does so to the 12 and to those who were around him. Okay, Those who were around him and the 12. It's not the whole crowd, but some lingered, some stayed around. <clears throat> And it goes on to say that Jesus explains his purpose to this smaller group in response to something they did. You know what they did? They asked. They asked. They recognized that there was more to Jesus' teaching than what they themselves could immediately perceive about seeds and soil. So they said, would you instruct us further? They didn't dismiss his teaching as an unusual phenomenon and move on. They didn't assume that they understood all there was to understand. They asked for more. They sunk their teeth in. They went to Jesus. They sought to get a better handle. In doing that, they're demonstrating what it means to be good soil. They're demonstrating what it means to seek to take the word in deeply. So hearing the word presents us with an opportunity. It is an opportunity that is at one and the same time fraught with danger and full of promise because it entails the possibility of blessing one with reception of the word or desensitizing one to it. <clears throat> we never leave an encounter with the word of God unchanged because that engagement with the word of God, it, it, it's, it's always an engagement with the word of God and a particular kind of soil, right? Think of our personhood as a particular kind of soil. We're always bringing that to the engagement with the word of God. Here's how, um, it's a, little, it's a, a paragraph graph quote um, from Charles Spurgeon, famous British Baptist preacher from the 19th century. He's not talking about this passage um, per se, but, but it's, got, it's got great application. So it's always a risk reading lengthy quotes, but, but I think this one is worth it. Explaining the difference between the dangers of neglectful hearing and the blessings of, of uh, good soil kind of hearing. So, so listen here to what he has to say. He says, listen again. 
there is another immediate effect of the word of the, of the word of the Lord which follows as quickly as the blossom appears upon the almond tree. Upon some hearers, it, it's the word of the Lord, produces an instant hardening. You remember how Paul wrote, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, to the other the savor of life unto life. You, dear friends, are deriving from every gospel sermon that you hear, either life unto life or else death unto death. If you get no good from it, you will assuredly get harm. An unbelieving hearing of the gospel is a multiplication of curses to your soul. Another sermon for which you have to give an account. Another rejected exhortation recorded against you. Another earnest invitation which you have refused and for which you will be held responsible. You are heaping up for yourselves against the day of wrath, even while you hear the word of the Lord. Now catch this. I am not talking about what will happen to you when you die or when you rise for the final judgment. I am speaking about what is happening now. The same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Take heed that you do not soon see the almond tree blossom in this terrible sense. Do you see, right? Differing effect. The difference is not attributable to the sun. It's the same sun. The difference is attributable to the kind of, if you want to you know, use the, 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 the parable of Jesus, soil, as it were, that, that the sun is shining on. Is it wax or is it clay? What we bring to the engagement with God's word produces one effect or the other. Spurgeon says, in harmony with Jesus, take heed how you hear. Take heed right now. There is no such thing as passive engagement with God's word. We need to let it in deeply. So if that's the point, that fruitful hearing lets God's word in deep, how do we do that? Can we, can we, can we make a, a practical suggestion or two on how to hear God's word, read God's word well? And so, so I, I have a few, uh, seven or eight uh, very practical suggestions. And think about it like, like uh, how, how can we till the soil of our hearts, right? So that the seed penetrates more deeply. Some of these, uh, well, I would say most of these are probably not rocket science, but they're easy to overlook and neglect. Uh, number one. <clears throat> so I'll, I'll give them to you, and then I'll, I'll just explanation of what I mean where it, where it helps. Number one, adore, adore the preciousness of God's word. Adore the preciousness of God's word. In, in other words, if we understand the magnitude of this gift, then listening to it and reading it will feel like a blessing as opposed to a burden or an obligation, right? God, not only does God not owe us the salvation that comes through the atoning work of Jesus, he doesn't owe us a word of anything other than judgment. So when he would speak a book full of words of mercy and reconciliation, unto, right, we, we, we hold 
the greatest treasure in our hands that we could possibly imagine. We, we tend to take it for granted sometimes, don't we? So if we, if we would ponder the, the preciousness of this gift, it would be something maybe that we were eager to receive rather than felt obligated to. Number two, uh, are there ways we could seek to orient our lives more centrally around God's word, right? more centrally around God's word. So in other words, if, if it's already the case, we've already said it's the case that there is an enemy who is bent on snatching the word away from us, then the one thing we can't do is coast, right? Just try to make it on, 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 on fumes. And this is where people sometimes talk about, you know, spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, meditation, scripture memory. All, spirit, all, all those are, they're, all they are are strategies that seek to put us in the path of the word's blessing. That's all that's going on there. Rather than, than just sort of floating along and seeing where we drift, it's a, it's, it's a strategy by God's grace to put us in the path of more and more of his blessing. So, so the point with orienting our life around God's word is not how many Bible chapters you check off in your reading plan a day, but how we orient ourselves to that word. So I'm just give you give you one example. You don't have to turn there. Uh, but probably a familiar passage to many of you from Deuteronomy 6. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 9. Listen to how Moses commanded the people of Israel to orient their lives around the word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, what part of life is excluded from being lived under the, the authority of God's word? And, and according to Deuteronomy 6, the answer is none of it should be. So there, of course, there, right, there can and should be formal times. So, you know, your Bible reading plan, your scripture memory practices. But, but it's, ha it's not just happening then, right? It's happening throughout the day. It's happening in conversations. Maybe conversations after sermons, conversations on the drive to school, conversations on the way home from, you know, piano practice or whatever the case may be. Number three. Okay, all of this is just... What, what, are, what, are, what are some things we may do that in God's kindness he might bless with a, with a, a greater depth of intake of his word? Number three, um, preparing well for worship. Preparing well for worship. I, I know you guys are in a unique situation right now where you got a different you know, preacher every Sunday and you're not necessarily going through a, a series or, or, or a book study. Um, but when you have advanced awareness of what the sermon text will be on Sunday. One way, one way you could prepare yourself for worship would be to read that passage at least the night before, at least on Saturday night, right? Read it with your family. Ask the Lord to bless, bless the preaching of the word, the receiving of the word. And it's something I, I've got teenagers, so I, I remind them of this periodically. One of, the, one of the things you can do to prepare yourself well for worship on Sunday is to go to bed on Saturday night at a reasonable time. So that the mind is sufficiently alert to actually have the engagement with, right? We don't want to train ourselves to sit in worship and just, you know, watch it 
watch it fly by. Number four, um, listen well to preaching. And here's my, here's my only thought here, right? Some of you are doing this. Uh, some, I mean, this is just, it, it's just a, a tactic to consider. Try note-taking. Try note-taking. You don't have to start right now, but, you know, in the future. Give it, give, give it some consideration. The reason I say that <clears throat> is that note-taking actually um, provides another layer of cognitive processing beyond just hearing. Right? Note-taking is, is a kind of engagement with the word. And so, you know, if it brings in another level of depth, so much the better. Number five, respond to the word with worship. Respond to the word with worship. So the fresh wind of scripture should lead us to all kinds of worshipful, worshipful responses, uh, from lamentation to rejoicing to everything in between. The scriptures command not just our understanding, but our whole lives, our, 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 what, what we do volitionally, what we do emotionally, what we value, what we care about, what we, where we invest in. It should command all of us and so as we hear the word of God, we should be thinking, what does it, right? We said the word of God is living and active, doing surgery in our lives. What does this passage want to do with me today? What is it? If the spirit had its way applying this passage to my life, what would the effect be in my life? What would the next step be? What would the progress in grace look like? Number six, dwell on the word, right? We just, we, we, we don't want glancing encounters, right? We're just, you know, it's kind of, kind of passing by. So, so a couple of, just a couple of thoughts on how we can help one another dwell on the Word of God. Number one, corporately. I don't know if you guys are invo- have, uh, facilitate small groups here, but, but if, if you do, that'd be, a, that'd be a great place to, to chew on the Word together. But even if you don't, you guys do a wonderful job in your uh, reflection time after the sermon. I know that's a habit for you guys. Um, and your fellowship in the parking lot after church. But, but even if you're you know, going to lunch with your family after church or lunch with friends after church, it's very, e- it's very easy. And, 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 and I'm not saying this, it's a problem, but uh, you, know, you can sit down over, over lunch and, and talk about who's in the Super Bowl next weekend, you know, go Rams and all that. And that's, that's great. That's great. But maybe, maybe a, a component of that conversation could include, wow, what, is it, what does it look like to listen well? And... and, and, and Chew on that together. Okay, so that's corporately, individually. Just one, one idea. When you pray, pray the theme of the scripture passage that you're reading or memorizing or meditating on. If you're doing a, a reading plan and you finish a chapter and you turn to prayer, allow the theme of that passage to shape and structure your prayer life. It'll do that, 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 that's, got, that's got at least two benefits. Number one, it, it prevents the, uh, the mundane experience of I'm just praying the same thing all the time, right? And number two, it'll give you absolute confidence that you're praying in accordance with God's will. If you pray the themes of Scripture back to God, you'll have confidence you're praying in accordance with God's will. Number seven, almost done here. <clears throat> Let Bible reading plans serve you. I think Bible reading plans are a great idea. It's a new year, right? Many of us are... are uh, uh, with the very best of intentions, trying to, to stick to it to a Bible reading plan. Let Bible reading plans serve you. Here's what I mean by that. If chewing, if the goal is depth and chewing on the word means that in, in a 15-minute in a setting for Bible reading, you really only chew on one verse and don't get to complete the whole chapter, that's okay. 
right? Right. If, if God arrests you with a with, with 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 a verse or a paragraph, and you don't get to the, the goal is not checking the box. You you can come back and read the rest of the chapter later before bed or you know, some other time if you, if you need to. But but if He's doing something to drive it down deep, go with it. That's okay. That's okay. That, that's the goal. Um, I, I have a friend from uh, back in seminary. Um, met this guy years ago. He's one of the most word saturated people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, he was he was doing seminary training and to put him put it put him uh, and his family through seminary. He uh, he worked as a painter, <clears throat> um, and so he'd get up in the morning and have his coffee and and have his uh, time of scripture and, and and prayer. And he he said, I, well, I asked, him, how, how are you so drenched with Bible? Right? It's, every time you talk, it's just Bible. Bible. It's always. And where's that come from? His name was Bob. Um, and uh, one of the things he said was that he, he would try to, so this is kind of the difference between the formal and the informal, right? Um, he, he said every time he would finish his Bible reading in the morning, he would try to take what he just read and formulate it into a couplet, formulate it into a couplet. And he had one of those little notepads, you could do it in your, in your notes on your phone, and he just jot down that couplet in his notebook, put it in his back pocket, head out to paint. And while he's painting, that couplet would then allow him, maybe he didn't remember the whole passage, but allow him while he's painting to rethink his way through the passage that he had read or, or been praying through that morning. So um, I took as that advice from this passage. Here, here It's not great. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a poet. But uh, here's what I came up with for this passage, right? Mark chapter 4. The sower sows the word. Take heed how it is heard. That's it, right? Now, look, I, I may, I may not, I may not, without this in front of me, know all the details that's going on in the passage. But as I'm driving home today and can't be reading the Bible anyway, right? Is distracted driving and what? Ha I can rethink my way through the entire parable just by so so so. It's just a tool. The point is, it's, 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 it's a handhold on the passage so that I'm not only thinking about the Word of God in the formal moment, but even in the informal moment, it's, it's traveling with me. I'm taking it with me. I'm inquiring of it, learning from it. It does help with Scripture memory too, right? If you understand what the passage is about, then the words that you're... Sometimes you can memorize Scripture and, and, and you'll, you'll have a new verse in your memory tank, but you don't really understand it. <laughs> And the goal is not memorization without understanding. We want, we, want, we want both, don't we? Right? Last one, number eight. And this gets back to the Hebrews 4.12 living and active point. Let the word read you. Let the word read you. So we want to come to our engagement with the word of God with the disposition not to judge the word, but to be judged, corrected, and transformed by it. How does this word interpret me. What does it want to cultivate in me? What is the spirit seeking in my life again with this passage? So I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment, but as we go to our time of closing worship and then the final reflection that you guys do for your service, let me encourage you to do this, right? In that, in that moment of reflection, even later on throughout the afternoon, let me encourage you to pray about what it might look like. I, 
hard, it's hard, it's hard to implement eight examples, right? In, in, in. So let me, let me encourage you to pray for what it might look like for you to let the word into your life more deeply in one or two specific ways this week. Okay. Pray. Ask God to, you know, whether it's one of the eight that I gave or something else or something that you're already doing or something that you've heard a pastor say. And if you're not sure, right, when the service is done, ask one of your pastors, ask for their advice, ask them to help you let it sink in deeper. They would love to do that. All right. I'll pray. Then we'll move into that time. Heavenly father, we're thankful for the reminder that has come to us in this morning's message about fruitful hearing. We pray that this moment and the moments to come this afternoon, the remainder of this weekend into the, into the coming week, would not be wasted or lost on stopped up ears. Would you unstop our ears? Would you unclog our hearts? Would you give us the ears that Jesus uh, so urgently commends to us, uh, ears to hear? We pray this in his name. Amen.